This episode is supported by Enscape, empowering your design workflow by turning your BIM model into an immersive 3D experience. Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. This is the podcast where I have a conversation with guests from the architectural community and beyond to talk about the co-evolution of architecture and technology. In this episode, I welcome Jason Addy. I've previously worked with Jason for many years, and the topic of this episode gave us an opportunity to catch up after years and years of loosely keeping touch online. Jason is an incredible visual artist that previously worked inside architecture firms, including the one that I did, and is now the managing director of Neoscape's Berkeley studio in the Bay Area of California. Neoscape, as you'll hear Jason describe early on in the episode, is a high-performance creative agency that does all things visual marketing for architects and developers. Basically a high-end render house, but it's way more than that. Above all, Jason and his team are creatives and storytellers that bring a tremendous value to the table with their expertise and technology to augment architectural services including interactive experiential marketing and branding, strategy, and more. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. So without further ado, I bring you Jason Addy. Well, Jason, welcome to the show, man. It's been yeah, a long thanks time. Thanks for having me. It's good to see a familiar face. Yeah, it's uh, I, I I follow your your Instagram and your your Strava, so that's how we keep in touch, right? Because we're we, we like riding bikes yeah. on dirt. Yeah, we don't even we don't like industry specific stuff. We like bike stuff. I think more than <laughs> right. <laughs> totally. So okay, so Jason, you're at you're at Neoscape. Explain like the Neoscape story and what what you guys do. I've been with Neoscape technically since 2011. I've kind of worked on and off at, with the company. I've, I've worked in the Boston office for a a short stint for about three years and then moved back to LA from there, worked at a few different companies and then came back five years ago almost to the to the month and opened an office here for them. And here is where? In Berkeley, Berkeley, California, Northern California, Oakland, San Francisco, Berkeley. We kind of focus on all of that region. But the new but Neoscape is around I think 26 years old now. One of the sort of pioneers of ArcViz is the way we kind of look at at the company. I had heard of Neoscape around the time that I was first jumping into Max, you know, I'd kind of heard the name pop up and as soon as the internet became more prominent, you, they were certainly everywhere. It was them and a few other key players. So I'd always kind of had an interest in the company. The company started with uh, two brothers and a friend of theirs, Nils, and they all grew up together. And they worked in the engineering field at the time. So they all come from the background of architecture and engineering. So they had a direct sort of hands-on approach to the work from day one. And they were all doing, you know, early sort of innovative work with visualization. They were doing a lot of ray tracing work and like 3D modeling before it was really a thing in architecture. So they they quickly capitalized on that and saw a business opportunity and, and, and started Neoscape from there. I believe they had a small team of six or seven or so of them for quite a quite a while. And then they 
they branched out and opened the New York office. And from there, it's just sort of uh, flowered. And, and, you know, we have currently we have an office in Chicago, Northern California. We're starting to grow in Texas a bit in Dallas. And then in Boston, of course, is our main office. And, and you guys are a service provider, basically. I, I know that you, you do stuff for architects, but, but give us a better understanding of the kind of clients that you work with. Yeah, so majority of majority of the clients we work with are architects and developers. We do everything from creative work to their for their films and renderings. I think that's the the breadth of the company is mostly focused on on rendering work, but we touch everything from branding, you know, digital marketing, web, interactive, iPads, pretty much every aspect of of marketing that you could think of inside of architecture and development but we also we also do quite a bit of uh, product work and you know we touch on some broadcast stuff we have a, a pretty cool client in, in boston that keeps us busy with a, a bit of broadcast work as well wow that's awesome so give us an idea of what why would an architect come to neoscape i mean you guys obviously are very specialized in what you do but what do they get when they come to you like how does that work I think the big thing that they get, uh, well, a lot of times they come to us looking for help with visuals for otherwise unbuilt, you know, buildings or projects that they're, that they've thought about or conceptualized to some extent, or maybe even they have uh, full drawing sets or renderings of their own that they've, they've done, but they're just looking for better sort of marketing to put out into the, the public face. So they come to us, they oftentimes approach us and, and look for our assistance there with just creating, you know, sort of a more refined, more personal product for them to, to interact with the public and, and, and also just lease and sell their spaces. And it's, I mean, obviously you guys do an amazing job. It is better than what they could do by themselves. I mean, just to give an idea of like our past history, there was, there was two of you guys in the rendering department versus give us an idea of what it actually takes to do what you do at Neoscape. Yeah, so I mean, any it, it's largely dependent on the scope of work, oftentimes. But you get a team of experts not only in 3D and sort of the visual side of things, but you're getting oftentimes it's people that have worked directly in architects' offices, or maybe they, they're even licensed architects. We have a lot of interior designers and architects that decide that's not the route they want to go, and they they hop on board. And we, you know, they might have the the skill set to to sort of block these things out, but we can sort of mold them and train them up to, to really create appealing marketing imagery. So, I mean, you get, you get a wide range of, of skill sets. We have a whole film team in our office that if it's a, it's a video that you're looking to do, we have producers, DPs, you know, people that are very specifically trained in, in video work for those types of projects and then we have a whole development side now for apps and and interactive work as well. So, I mean, it it, re- it largely you know it depends on the the scope of work that's coming in. But at any any time, you're getting a catered team sort of to the type of project that's brought to us. You know, architecture firms, in my experience, try to do it all. Right? They try to have a little bit of everything possible. Right? Like not only from the client side, as far as like the types of clients that they will service. It's like We'll, we'll take just about any job, but also in what you provide to that client. And I remember, you know, going back in the day, insert the little soundbite back in the day right here. It was like, I'm a back in the day guy. I say I, a lot. I, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, you know, you're going to, you're going to hit the render button and you're going to wait a long time for that rendering. And, 
and obviously things things are very different now. It's a, it's a very specialized field, and it's like you're saying, you have a, a, a film team. There is so much to understand about broadcast and film and color grading and color correction and everything that the technical underbelly of all of that stuff as well, the pipeline, the amount of data you're moving. I mean, there's there is so much there. So so there's also like this development of new tools. We've had twin motion on the podcast, talking about Enscape all the time. So tools there are that are democratizing the ability for more people to have access to making imagery. So that's kind of the other side of the scale. Like there's this highly technical, really deep, you know, you know, like you're talking about these really high end marketing images. And then there's like the day to day, the blossoming of the ability for d- designers to not have to use a visualization department to do things. And when you think about about like the whole gamut that is experience plus potential, why would somebody why would an architecture even think about doing their own visualization or why would they even, why would they ignore what you guys are doing on the, on the other side of that? Coin? So I think that, you know, when I think of architects doing renderings, I think of my time in house at an architecture firm and still continuing to work with architects on a day to day. Architects often see a, a large picture of, you know, a, a big functioning space. They want to see the the entire project all the time is the common ask. <laughs> the widest angle lens possible. I want to see it all in this one shot. Exactly. That, that, was, that is totally it. So we end up there a lot of times. And and for us, when it comes to us, you know, I think in-house there's a there's a purpose and there's a there's a reason for doing things that way. And when you're studying design and you're, you know, a designer's over the viz artist's shoulder or the designer's doing viz on their own, that sort of thing makes a lot of sense. You want to see it all. You want to like, you know, make sense of, of what you're designing. But I, so I think when, when it's brought to us that way, we're, we're able to kind of interpret it differently. We have the time to kind of go back and, and sit on it and, and really intake what we've been told about the project or the buildings and sort of interpret it in a more sort of relatable way is the way I like to look at it. So you, so can- you guys set a different expectation up front because our, you know, like what you're talking about back working in the architecture firm, like you guys are 11th hour kind yeah. of like, you're just at the mercy of, I don't know, like here's the new model five minutes later, here's the latest model five minutes later, here's the latest model. Right. Yeah. yeah or, or it's like, we don't have a model, but we need to, to fix these things, right? Like, so you're, you're making changes on the fly, you're doing all these things and then it's good enough. Right. So we're, so Neoscape, I think like, and, and any marketing centered viz firm is thinking about how they can take all of these details and spend more time on sort of that final, whether you're at, like you're still in schematic phase or, you know, construction docs or whatever, we, we take whatever you have tell you that we need you know it to be sort of locked in we can we can update things I'm right laughing. yeah yeah i know you're laughing everybody's always laughing at that yeah right, right. um but yeah we, no really no really final, final. yeah we need yeah. We, no more models right yeah. <laughs> yeah we so we i mean we we can basically take whatever you give us and refine on top of that and give you sort of a more complete version of that with the gaps filled yeah, and I I would assume I'm I'm kind of putting myself into your shoes, but I assume you guys bring a perspective to this that is very different from that. I've got to see it all in this one view. Like 
there's definitely been a shift in perception over the years of how much renderings cost. Because of these new tools that I just talked about, renderings are basically free now. And they used to be like, no, you got them at the end of DD and that was it. And somebody would say, where's my updated renderings? And you'd be like, you didn't pay for any, right? And it's not in the budget. That's very different. But that, that's a very different thing, I think, than what you're talking about. Because now you're talking about delivering this service that comes along with all of the expertise that you guys bring to the side of the table in the form of, I mean, additional design, obviously, but there's all these other things that layer on top of that. It's like how this rendering makes you feel. What's the story you want to tell? What's the story arc that you want to take somebody through? And you guys are focused on that whole, that whole thing. And I'm sure there's some kind of a menu to that, that people can kind of pick and choose from. But at the same time, you guys have your own reputation at stake when it comes to the stuff that you deliver and there's got to be a quality level that you hit. And so therefore it's got to include certain ingredients, whether, and I'm wondering like, are some of those ingredients just like they're part of everything that you do or, or is it different than that? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's definitely like a kit of parts, so to speak, that you, you can start with and you can offer people. It's largely sort of you got to kind of be able to read the the project and the client up front. I think it's if someone comes to you and says like we we have a budget of you know x x number and we don't we can't go over this, but we want to tell the architecture story. You you try not to overthink it. You just focus on the quality and and sort of the moments within the spaces. There's oftentimes the ask for a day in the life film. That's sort of the the that's something that Neoscape's done for a long time. And then we continue to sort of refine as, as camera gear and, and technology gets more um, accessible to us. You know, we get, we can put, put together full lifestyle films that integrate neighborhoods and, and sort of communities and things into these projects. So I think that, yes, there's a, there's a sort of starting point. There's always like a kit of parts to be pulled from, but we always try to take the outside, we outside of the box route, you know, like, like, for instance, I had a, a client meeting this morning where we pitched a creative on a film project. It's a life science project, you know, in a suburban area. It's 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 got tons of features, outdoor features, and all these sort of standard sort of lead lead this, lead that. You know, it's got all these like architecture things that they want to talk about. But you got to take you got to think that there's always supporting collateral for this stuff. Mm-hmm. So we try you don't to have to tell the entire story with this one piece of media. Right? right. So we can, we can give you that kit of parts and we can start there and we can do all these like standard things that you've seen a million times in a real estate film. But for instance, on this one, we found that, you know, there's all these outdoor moments. There's like these pathways through gardens and like medicinal gardens and like these moments that are really impressive around the architecture that shine like specifically through the trees. You can see the architecture. So we thought about it, you know, in like a more film, filmic sort of way where it's, we're going to frame it. It's, it's all about like things like the aspect ratio, right? We're using like a two, three, five, like format versus a 16, nine format that cinematic. Yeah. It, it immediately gives it a different feel. It, it yeah. makes it feel high end and, and cinematic. And then, and then things like, you know, the lighting in the scene, like keeping it like really natural and not forcing everything to feel very bright and, and sort of overexposed and things come that they go a long way. So you can tell the same story, but not try to cram in all the, the sort of nuances and and numbers and stats and things that you, you have in all this other information that you've already created for the project. What do, 
what do architects need to hear from someone like you? Like what, what are the challenges that you guys struggle with when you're working with architects and what glass has you, reflection, <laughs> transparent trees, no, no more transparent trees. Like, like what do they suck at? Because I think that this is an opportunity because that's who you're talking to in mm-hmm. this, in this show. Like what, I would love to hear, like, from your perspective, the kinds of challenges that you guys deal with over and over again that you see all the time. I think, you know, the most common challenge, I mean, aside from, like, the the, the more obvious things, like, yeah, the transparent trees and the, and the making the glass specifically have no reflection so you can see inside and turning all the lights on, all those things are all, and we, we get why those, those things are requested. So I have, like, you know, suggestions to those things all the time, but... The most common thing lately is that we get approached with some reference imagery. So someone will bring renderings or something from another company and say, hey, we, we really like these images. And oftentimes they're from someone like Mir, you know, in Norway. I think they're, they're in Norway, who does really moody, really sort of environment specific renderings. And they're, they're awesome. They're like some You're like the, watching Dune looking at those. Exactly. Right? They're the yeah. best of the best. And they, and they represent a more personal side of these projects, but it's also, they look like that because they were allowed to have the freedom to kind of create these images. So that's, that's the most common thing these days is we get approached with that sort of imagery and asked to do that. But then as soon as you do it, you get pulled way back. So it's, <laughs> no, we have to show exactly what it's going to look like with right. our own, with yeah. our own and, views put, applied to that. And think about like, I, I, I always try to tell people, like, think about contrast in an image. Like, you don't want your shadows to be lifted to the same levels as the the daylight version of or portion of the rendering, right? Like, you need contrast in an image in lighting. So oftentimes, I'll try to get sign-off on that stuff, like, on the view selects, where it's just a clay sort of white render version of everything with the glass turn on. You pull the architect trick on the client. like Exactly. We, on the, the architects. Time. Yeah, <laughs> on the architects. Right, yeah. Let's go to the client and only show them the clay model because we don't want to talk about specific materials. We don't want to talk about... We don't want to get go down those rabbit trails of what they like and they don't like at that level. We want to talk about space and we want to talk about volume and we want to talk about lighting and shadow and those things like that's what you're talking about yeah and and maybe i should say thanks architects for teaching me that when i worked (laughs) in-house but (laughs) but yeah i think that's that's the most common thing i would say i'd I'd say that like architects need to be able to let go a little bit as far as like not not only like the design side because i think we fully respect the what they've done design wise on all of these projects like the the time that goes into it all the detail all of the design intent, all of that stuff is like stuff that we understand and we're, we're respecting throughout the process. So and you're like, thanks, we'll take it from here. Yeah. We need that <laughs> space and respect back. I think like, yeah. let, let us do our job and you're the expert and you'll get great images. That's all. That's no matter what company you go to, I think they'll give you a really kick-ass uh, rendering if you just let them do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I would also think that part of this answer, or at least it could be composition it could be image making right like there's there's definitely like those are not the kinds of things that are actually taught in architecture school so i tend to see that and maybe i'm just tooting my own horn here but as a like a photographic enthusiast i have a different eye for composition than somebody who doesn't do photography or anything like that so i've got to imagine like most of the views that 
you talked earlier about, you know, you've got this general sense of this overall complex and a lot of design happens at that level. And so therefore, like that tends to get like rutted deeply into the mind of the designer. It's like, this is how we see the project, but it's not how somebody's going to actually experience the project. And so I'm wondering, like, do you fight a battle there too? A lot of times when it comes to actually picking views that make sense to communicate design to people who are not the architect in the, in the, in the end. Right. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think one of the things that I, I always say up front to, to our clients and our partners is that you want these cameras to be eye level or at eye level so that people are experiencing your space and these images when they look at them. Every time you float a camera at 20 feet and put move it back from the building, immediately disconnects you from, from the space that you're looking at. So like if you really truly are trying to convey sort of a, a relation to your design, which is what marketing images should do, right? They should trying to put them there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you, so that's, that's number one thing is, is keep the cameras low and, and at eye level and immerse yourself into these spaces. And then sec- like second, we try to frame it with sort of little moments of things happening within these spaces. So if you're in that like medicinal garden, for instance, that I mentioned, you want probably some butterflies like floating over the plants or pollinators and things like always. Yeah. yeah, Like that sounds, it sounds so ridiculous, but like if you paint in a couple kids, like experiencing this moment with these like pollinators over the, the focal point of the plants to the, the left of the image. And then in the dark sort of shaded canopy on the right side, you have people reading a book or something. There's these moments that like, you can experience, you can think of yourself being there. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cause so you've the, seen that before. Yeah. Right. And, and it's weird that architects don't think of that because nowadays you're flying around in a 3d model while you're designing a lot All of times. Time. And yeah. yeah. And it's, and it's, it kind of blows my mind sometimes that people aren't seeing more of this while they're in Revit or Rhino, whatever they're designing in. Or, or like uh, when they're going into VR, right? Like, but I think a lot of times an architect is in there experiencing it. And it is immersive. Like you said, like you're in a real-time rendering environment. You're looking at this stuff, but you're kind of like going through it. And so there's like a, you're not inhabiting that space. You're not taking time to do the thing that people are going to take the time to do in those spaces. So maybe there is a bit of a disconnect there. I mean, that, that might be a, maybe that's my suggestion to designers is sit put a camera in a, in a space and, and sort of frame it, how you would use the space. Maybe that'll help you hang out there for a little while. Hang out there. Yeah. Hang out there, have a beer and look at your screen. (laughs) Relax. (laughs) This is, this is an apt description of the metaverse. I think we just heard. (laughs) (laughs) And there is no relax in designers lives. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. What does that mean? (laughs) Well, so yeah, that's interesting to think about. So I know you've been talking a lot about rendering, but what else, what else is there? I know there's other stuff that, that is more immersive, that is more interactive. And that like, what are the other kinds of media that you guys are engaged with that you're helping tell the stories? And maybe we end up, you know, talking about storytelling as a, as a bigger concept, but what are some of the ways in which you're, you're using technology to do that and how that's influencing architecture and design? I could, I'm wondering, is there like a, a handshake or a feedback loop going on between, like you said, we'll just take it from here. You'll get great images like that. That's a, that's kind of a one way disconnected way, but I'm sure there's some like feedback loops that are happening too, on top of the different types of ways that technologies that you're using to communicate how space feels and how it looks. Yeah. I think, you know, zoom alone has, has brought like, it's such a ridiculous 
sort of tech- technological thing to to mention, but it's like it's made it so that we can just pop into meetings. We don't always have to be in person with someone. It allows us to kind of in between formal reviews, just just I'll message a client, I'll message our partner and be like, Hey, I got something to show you. Like, do you have a, a few minutes later in the day? And, you know, we'll show them iterative stuff uh, within 3d studio max, which is something like most people for a long time, you didn't even know what we were working in, right? Like people heard of max and heard of V ray and mental ray and, all these things, but they never saw it. So now they're able to see, like, I find it super valuable to, to get people sort of involved in what we're doing and show them the tools that we're utilizing. And, and one of the things that's been really great outside of or, or within Max is V-Ray RT. So like Chaos Group's been putting a lot of attention into just building that and making it work with a lot of different graphics card and GPUs. So you don't have to have these like super computers to make it work and, and really like see something that's valuable like quality wise within it. Mm-hmm. So we we can, you know, we could have a fully loaded scene with force pack and billions of objects uh within the it's scene incredible. plants and then run RT and move the sun around. And you know, we could literally have a designer over our shoulders for a few minutes over Zoom and get approval on it and then move forward. You know, that's that's been a huge part of the workflow that's helped us out a lot. I think Real-time software, like I, I think Unreal and stuff is all a different beast. I think we use it in a different way here. We don't use it for designing as much. RT, though, and V-Ray has been super killer. And I know most, most rendering packages now have it as well, like Corona and all the, all the newer ones come with a, a very similar sort of progressive path tracer system. But I just, I, it's super invaluable to have that, that tool and just be be there with someone and and to let them see what you're doing and also when you get asked a ridiculous question like can you just pull the building up you know 20 feet you can show them that no it doesn't work like that like let me show you what what that takes real quick and let me isolate all these things and pull verts around and show you that it's going to take my team some time to to clean all that stuff up yeah so beyond the 2d output i got you're talking about like this this the tools that you're using to produce that like eventually it ends up with an image or a fly through or something. What else is there? What, what, are, what are you guys doing? We've been doing more and more um, sort of leasing center LED walls, like big interactive screens in leasing centers. I think people are now, developers are putting a lot more money and time into their leasing centers. They're finding it really valuable to bring um, potential tenants into these spaces, sit them in front of these big digital walls or interactive tables we've done um, a few times and let them sort of experience the marketing material. You know, it's not it's not just sending postcards or showing print collateral and, and flipping through a book anymore. That's certainly part of it still that will never really go away because there's this tangible thing that you can sort of feel at the same time. But sitting in a leasing center, we've we've been doing a lot of Unreal tours. So they're like self-guided with an Xbox controller where you can change materials, you can move things around, you can bump into objects while you're sort of in this space. And we find that these digital walls do the same sort of thing that like the Oculus headsets and all that stuff were kind of trying to, to do a few years back where you, you feel like you're in the space enough, yeah. right? You're actually yeah. in a sort of white boxed version of what the space could be. And then on screen, you're seeing this fully built environment around you. And, you know, not only in, on, on sort of a, a 2d sort of plane in front of you on a screen but we've done 
a lot of stuff with a company called Igloo, where it has a screen that sort of wraps around you, sit in a darker environment so that you're you're super immersed like in in the space that you're looking at. And you know, from there you can you can do anything with it. Any any of these like platforms that that we're talking about, like the screens, the headsets, all that stuff, you can use the same software. So Unreal, we use it a lot for this stuff where it just ports into whatever the the medium is that they have available to them and we cater around that. That's awesome. So it's kind of like a cave kind of environment. And the to me it would seem like the upsides to that are is you can have multiple people in there at the same time having a conversation face to face, like real physical analog face to face, right? Yeah. Yep. That and they can be talking about the design and experiencing it together. I think that's one thing that's kind of missed in a lot of these scenarios is it's just like that you're so siloed off. It's just you experiencing the thing. It's so different experiencing it with other people. Right. Yeah. And and if you know that you have a specific type of tenant coming in, like let's say, you know, it's one of the big player tech companies, we can cater those spaces to their aesthetic and what they're looking for. So as soon as they step into this space, you can be like, here's three different options of this office build out, you know, based on your other offices or, or what we took cues that we took from, you know, your previous offices that you've designed yourself. So they could sit in the space, turn, click buttons and turn things on and off and change the space to their liking, you know, customize it on screen, so to speak. Let's take a moment and talk about the sponsor of this episode. Enscape is a leading real-time rendering and virtual reality tool for the global AEC market. It plugs directly into your modeling software, giving you an integrated design and visualization process. With Enscape, you can render in real-time and walk stakeholders through your rendered model with incredible ease. Now buildings can be experienced long before they're built. And I have to add here that it's fun to use. Seriously, you cannot underestimate this. It's what makes this tool so amazing. This is something that most CAD and rendering programs can't claim. It democratizes your ability to create beautiful renderings at any time during the design process and use it as a tool to make valuable decisions during design. And as my friend Clifton Harness of TestFit says, it's one of the few well-established companies open to innovating in AEC. And you can see the outcome of this, where his company recently showed off how they were able to take advantage of the new Enscape SDK to incorporate the real-time renderer with TestFit. More than 200,000 unique monthly users from over 150 countries use Enscape to envision better designs. Don't be left out. To learn more or sign up for a free 14-day trial, visit Enscape3D.com slash TRXL today. That's Enscape3D.com slash TRXL. Do you guys do any kind of like an analysis of the kinds of things where, like in a leasing center, where actual end users are going to be using whatever they end up choosing, building it and using it? Do you guys do any kinds of like analysis to the kinds of things that they gravitate to or stay away from during those kinds of presentations and then give that feedback back to the architect? Because it seems like there would be a lot to learn right there. I don't know that we've done a lot of that. I think there's a lot that, that could be taken away. Yeah, certainly. I think that, that you know, there's, there's a personal level of interaction at that point that you get back from someone that's not, yeah. that you don't get from just looking at a 2D rendering or, right. you know. But no, we I don't I don't know that we do anything like that. We do we do a lot of sort of 
digital collection on data and things like that on the, the back end, but that's that'd be an interesting uh, concept. It seems to- like you guys might have because you you are so involved in making it look the way it looks and making it feel the way it feels. There's kind of an extra layer that you guys have applied that people seem would would just very much react to, right? Or either either in a very positive way or potentially in a very negative way, or, you know, you're talking about moods and feelings and emotions that you're trying to create. It seems like there would be a, a, a big opportunity there. And, and most architects don't even get there because as soon as the building's done, like they're onto the next project, they're not actually watching how people use that space, which was a design, which is all a hypothesis, a prototype, right? Every custom building is a prototype. So it's like, we think they're going to use it this way. Now, how are they actually going to use it? It seems like you guys are actually one step closer to that because of the hyper-realism that you're able to create before the building's even done and and potentially make decisions based off that from a design side to make it even better. Yeah, I think, you know, as soon as we get to the point where we're putting the headsets back on and and people are immersing themselves into these spaces a bit more, I think that that's still not quite there. And I think people get, get lost in putting it on and get distracted by things. But I think as soon as you can get somebody to that level, I feel like that's when you're going to get a lot of that valuable information back because that's, that's truly as close as you're going to get to being in the space itself. Right. Yeah. Before you you actually build the thing for sure. Yeah. You can, you can, uh, you know, you could have, what was that movie? Polyester back in the day that where it was like smell vision on the screen. (laughs) You could, you could start doing stuff like that where you walk by leather chairs or something and you have like, little hints of, of things happening and someone's like, Oh God, I, I can't stand the the furniture in this place. Cause it's all leather. You know, it'd be funny to get reactions like that out of people. It would. I, I remember doing a, a VR thing um, at work and it was this, this, you know, we brought in a group of, of who were going to end up being like stakeholders in the project and we're showing them another building that we had done. And you know, this guy is an older gentleman and, and he puts the headset on. It's like, there's this video online called the first follower and it's really interesting kind of study in behavior and culture, but you know, there's a band playing up on the stage and and they're out in the field and like the grass field, you know, in the super cheap seats. And one guy gets up and starts dancing, you know, starts going crazy, but like no one's joining him. And, and it's not about that person. Like that person obviously has guts or maybe they're just wired a certain way to do that. Right. They don't, they don't care what anybody else thinks. But the next person who comes up opens the floodgates for everyone to join in. That's what this guy was in VR. He was he put the headset on and he was the perfect person because he's looking around and he's just like vocalizing everything he's feeling. And he's just basically breaking down the barriers of this is fun. So he's like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And he sticks his head through a wall, right? Like because <laughs> you can. Right. He can't do that in the real world. He sticks his head through a wall, then he pulls it back. Then he sticks it through again, then he pulls it back. Right. And it was just like this really fun thing to actually witness happen and break down the barriers because as soon as he was done, everyone wanted to do it. Right. Right. And they wanted to experience it at that point. And I think technology adoption is hard, but people like that make it easier for other people to want to get in there and see what it's actually like. Yeah. And, that, and that's an interesting way to, to look at it and, and a, a kind of a cool reference because it, it brings back this, this recent project that I had where I was in the space while they were giving a tour and testing out the technology that we were installing. 
And there were so many people laughing and joking and having fun with the product and like the visuals on screen that it was a way different vibe as far as like when you sit in a room and watch a film, you get a lot of reactions, but you also get a lot of people that fixate on the music and just just can't get away from it. And they're like, that's right. all you end up talking about when you're like, the, nobody ever likes the music, right? So that's always, the, the all the other work just went unnoticed. But then as soon as you get this interactive thing in, in front of people and they're using this controller and moving around and changing colors on the floors and, and there's like ambient noises as you turn to the right, you know, there's like birds and, and you can hear the ocean off in the distance. Everybody sort of gets involved in it. And it, it it's exactly what you were saying where it's just a, it's just more fun to to deal with it and like and look at it and interact and, and be a part of it. I think it's always it's less it's less work for everybody to it's more work technically, but it's it's yeah. less work when you're there in person to kind of sell someone on yeah on these things. That that's an interesting thing. I mean, I, I've focused on that a lot in my career, which is like all the all the technical specs are taken care of. Don't worry about those. How does it make you feel? And let's focus on how it makes you feel. And that to me is where like you guys really shine because you are adding these other layers on top of the thing that technically meets all the requirements, all the input that somebody's already given. They've done the design. It represents all of the intent of everybody who is a stakeholder who agreed. And okay, those boxes are checked. Now, how does it actually feel? And you guys are adding look to that, but you're also adding sound and sound design and score, like all of those things that add to the experience to really sell it as a mood or an emotion, emotional experience. Yeah, totally. And I, and you know, the technical things that go into that are kind of interesting too, because there's a lot of like, you know, if you, if you don't have trees moving, if you don't have shrubs blowing in the wind, if you don't have fabric that looks real as you pass by it all of those things it just pulls you right out of it right yeah, yeah. It, it really has been for a long time it's been a technical sort of hurdle for this industry in general you know there's motion capture that's always kind of been there but it's always been you know people 3d people with big shoulders and walking very strangely on screen and right. that sort of thing but now you have tools like anima that have these 4d people where they're well, the 40s what they call them uh their hair moves their mouths sort of move a little bit their fabric on their shirts twists and, and kind of bunch as they walk around so that stuff has all really allowed us to to sell these um, spaces that much more you know to people that are, are looking at it for the first time and blowing trees like grow effects is a huge plug-in that we use and and being able to like build custom trees and animate them without vertex painting and doing all these crazy like side steps you know that old we used school to techniques do. yeah right yeah like back in the day we used to do all that back in the day <laughs> yeah i mean those things are are huge tie flow is another pretty cool tool that's being used a lot which and i used to use onyx tree with onyx. what would they call it like onyx with storm or something like that yeah that's storm the, yeah. was the animation of the wind right. and stuff yeah right. that, i think that's still around it might be a it's wow. mostly for gaming but um yeah yeah, they, these tools have all come a long way. I think like particle particle things like particle flow and stuff being replaced with tie flow, like P flow is all kind of transformed into this tie flow tool. And you can do hard surface animation, you can do all kinds of, you know, it's kind of it's kind of trying to do what Krakatoa does on the the more higher end film side of things. But that's allowed us to do all kinds of custom things like, you know, Middle Eastern projects where there's 
these these sort of fabrics that you get on every person has these this interaction that has never really been there if you show them with a static 3D person. So we did a project recently where we took Tyflow and really animated everybody's garment to sort of move around and shift in crowds and like it's amazing how much work goes into just making that stuff blend into the background so that it feels real so that it doesn't take me out of the scene oh yeah i mean it's all the stuff you see in in feature films put into an architectural film really at this point so is that where all most of this development's coming from it seems like it's coming from two places uh like the cinema side the vfx side but also the gaming side yeah i think i think definitely it's that's it's all kind of encompassed uh, architecture now, and, and and there's been versions of these tools and scripts and things that were only film or gaming mm-hmm. specific at one point, and now they're all all industries have hands on them. They can get a hold of them. Interesting. Well, give us an idea of what your your tech stack is like. Like what I, I want to get an idea of how complex it is, or you know, like what are you? What's the kind of data you guys are dealing with? What what it, a, let's just a typical job, what's what's it like from a Neoscape point of view, how you would tackle that? You mean as far as like like a workflow type thing? Or? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, usually we, I mean, it's it's kind of all started the same way forever and no matter where you work, where you get a set of drawings, a, a mood mood imagery, things like that from a, a client, kick it off with a, with a sort of interactive intake session where everybody kind of gets involved and, and speaks their piece about the project. And, and we just sort of listen, we go back and listen. We always come back after that with a, with a sort of pitch to the, the idea or the creative of a project, whether it's just renderings or a film or interactive, we always come back with something where it's, it's our idea of, or our interpretation of what we were just told. And then we start, and then we start moving into the 3d side or the, the film side of things. So, you know, any, any given project, I would say, is moving gigs and gigs of data, no matter how you look at it, whether it's textures or audio or video at this point, we all everything's gotten much bigger. So it's not it's no longer, you know, tileable square textures. We're using massive three D scans and, and all kinds of data just from, from all mediums. So any given project is is very large, uh whether it's just renderings or a film or, you know, like I said, interactive at that point you know we we have a a pretty pretty solid infrastructure in house we have i think about 100 render nodes these days so we're one of the only companies that has a large render farm in house neoscapes always sort of prize themselves on having this this in-house render farm it, it's grown from i think when i was when i first started in 2011 it was about shoot maybe 40 or 50 nodes so as new generations of hardware come out or GPUs and things like that, we upgrade and uh, it's slowly grown. But yeah, we have a hundred dedicated nodes, and then at, at night, you know, everybody puts their machine on the farm. So I think we're probably at something like 140 or something at any given night, where we can render constantly all of these jobs that come in. Wow, that's incredible. So what kinds? What are the apps that you're excited about? Or you know, just give people an idea of what what you use, what you're excited about that's coming in the future or the near future. Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious one is is really the the progression of Unreal, and like I think mm-hmm. I think real time technology is is hard not to be excited about. It's we've been excited about it forever now. I feel like we all kind of like we keep going in circles. We're like, Oh my God, it's the new thing. Right. Like there's the, but now there's ray tracing in it and there's like, there's no need to, to bake all these things and all the, all the work that used to go into like sort of prepping 
to get it into these environments is now more truly real time where you can like bring in the objects, apply materials, apply lighting, and it ray traces. Like if you have the GPU to handle it, the CPU to handle it, it'll it'll do its job. You can build around the software packages and it's really exciting to see the quality that people are getting out, not only in a living room scene, because that's what we all kept seeing forever, right? Like right. Every, everybody right. would do a walkthrough in a, in a living room. Got that furry rug, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look at all these polys all in <laughs> right. the rug. Right. Now, but now you can, I mean, there's entire cities. We we did a, a really big project for Hudson Yards in um, in New York where, you know, it was we built out basically the entire city where you flew from one tower down through the city, experienced the, I don't know the name of that big sort of staircase sculpture. Oh yeah. I, uh, I, I can't remember what it's called now. I, I, I would have been able to, if you didn't even talk about it, but <laughs> I lost it. Well, so it flies around that. We modeled that entire thing with people moving trees, birds, all kinds of stuff. You fly all the way around that and into the, the observation deck of this project. And, the pointy one up above it. Right. Yep. Yeah. And, and all of that is in real time. All of that was wow. done in, in Unreal. And you stand, the way that it operates is you stand inside of this elevator with screens sort of boxed around you. And all the walls fall off in, in 3D space. All the walls fall off as the elevator is moving. And the camera's moving up with the elevator. So it's all tracked in you know, yeah. to time with the elevator ride. And once one you world to the trade top, center has something like that too. I've been on that one. That was pretty cool. It's yeah. like, it's telling you the story as you go up. And right. I think, yeah, he kind of burst out of it at the top or something. Exactly. Yep. That's really cool. I mean, it's a neat experience and it helps connect you to what's, what it's all about as you're there. I mean, it's amazing. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, th- I think that's pretty much like, that's the most exciting thing to keep looking at in, in this industry. I think that's like, one of those things that's not going away, it's only getting better. There's a lot a competition sort of in, in the field as well that makes it interesting and makes them all do better. Right. So so that that I feel is the most exciting part of you know the tech in, in this industry right now. And then on the side of that, just V Ray and Corona and all these render engines just get better and better and make incredible stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they they really just allow the artists to to do better work. I just read about uh Unity purchased Weta Digital. I saw that and I didn't know if it was a joke or what. No, it's not. And <laughs> That's it, crazy. I, yeah, it is crazy. It was like a multi-billion dollar deal. And, uh, I, you know, there's still going to be kind of the visual effects side of things. But it sounded to me like one of the goals of this acquisition is, I mean, obviously, I, I think all this stuff is based on, on Metaverse future stuff. It's like they're trying to do this big land grab, it feels like. Uh, like we've got to be there in the beginning. We've got to be the, one of the major players because we want to define it. But it seems like they want to take a lot of the tech that what has developed over the years and start like they kind of had it made Unity available to everybody is just like start making that stuff available to a lot more people so that they can be creators and enable the creators like you're talking about. Yeah, I, th- I mean, ideally, that's what every company that's that's creating these tools should be looking at doing, I think. That's going to rep their tool better. That that is being used. It's going to get them more attention, and and the the quality of the end product is just going to be so much better to allow allow artists to be artists, right? Yeah, it's interesting to think about this. I would. I, this is another renaissance that we're talking about, right? I think when you're talking about enabling and giving agency to artists to create, 
with as little of friction as possible. It reminds me of this. There's a book called The Fourth Turning. Every a turning is 40 years. Every turning is broken down into these decades, and they're kind of loosely assigned to um, generations and stuff like that. But they, let's see, that we're in the crisis mode right now. Like it does this, it's this repeatable 80-year pattern, and we're in the crisis of it right now. But what comes next is uh, the millennials, I think, are, are generally referred to in the book as the hero generation. And then the Gen Z... Uh, you know, whatever comes next after after the millennials. I'm this I'm dating myself here, but it's uh it, they're the artists. That's what that's what they call them. And I it sounds to me like like that's where that's what we're talking about is like really empowering people to this renaissance in art and the value of art and the meaning of art. I hope that's where we're going because that to me sounds like a pretty fantastic place. Yeah, and if you think of it like that, and you think back 20 years ago, I was looking at, you know, before before we got on here, I was like, I got to kind of know when I started doing this. And like, I was thinking about like, when did I start doing this? And it was about- Back in the 20, day. Yeah, really, <laughs> over 20 years ago. And and I always tell, when I talk about this industry to people, I always, I always have said the same thing forever. Yeah, I've been doing it about 13 years. I've been saying that for seven, seven eight years now. <laughs> but, right. Yeah, if you think about it, like that long ago, like 20 years ago, to your point just now, we were being more technical and kind of like figuring these things out and how, how do these softwares work and like how, how do these tools, how can we make them work in this industry? Where there's a lot of problem solving, a lot of sort of scripting that kind of assisted with it. But if you just got your hands dirty in the software, it took a lot longer to produce good quality stuff. And now like the, these companies and these tools are so refined that these artists are allowed to be artists. Like you're saying, like this new generation, which I call the Instagram generation, because that's where I see them getting inspiration. There's no forums anymore. It's right. all, it's all either, you know, word of mouth portfolios on Behance or on Instagram is what I find with the younger artists. They're all so good though. They're like everybody's very good because they can jump into these tools be masters of them and they're so refined these tools are so polished that you can quickly just become an artist you don't have to be a technical artist all the time you know yeah i mean we used we've seriously struggled with this stuff for so long and it it is really amazing to watch how the technology like there's a hole that's identified it's one thing i love about like kind of going back and looking at all the pixar movies you can see the thing that they wanted to tackle for the new film so for one film it was water and for one film it was fur and for they, they've got all these different kind of environmental constraints and, and, you know, what, what are they doing with the characters and the faces and the, you know, there's so many different things there. And now to watch that stuff trickle down so that anybody can use it. I mean, it's, it's absolutely phenomenal to watch that technology shift in usability change uh, because it shouldn't be that hard to use. Like that's the whole point of tools is to leverage them for better. And if you can, the easier, it, the bigger the lever you've got to make the outcome better faster is, is just going to free up so many people to, to do their art. It's going to be absolutely fantastic. Yeah. One, I mean, one of the biggest things I think is, is being able to do it all in 3d now, like you can, you don't even need to paint really anything in, in 2d anymore in Photoshop. We certainly take it in and do color corrections and all that stuff, but even like the new, the latest V-rays and, in, in incorporating all kinds of new sharpening and blurred built in like to the frame buffer, you can do all of these things that you normally do in Photoshop. You can layer, mm -hmm. you can build your passes, you can do all that stuff in, in the frame buffer. So out of 3D, you get really 
like pretty impressive stuff. You know, just tre- straight off, just yeah. straight out of it. Trees, yeah. plants, all that stuff is all in the packages now. You know, back back in the day, we used to uh, paint everything in Photoshop. Right. You, you right. used to render a base plate with a ground texture, paint it all in. So now I don't feel so bad you know, with asking people to make changes on my team right. and stuff, I feel they're all going to hate me after they listen to this, but <laughs> I, I know what went into creating it back back in the day. So now I'm like, you can do it. You can make these small changes and then just re-render the whole image. You don't need to repaint it all in Photoshop. It's like, you know, it might, it might bite us in the butt sometimes doing it this way, but when file sizes get massive and you deal with, you know, files that won't open or corruption and that sort of stuff. But that certainly has helped progress the quality of these images a lot. Yeah. I, I just made the case for why I'm right and it's on a podcast, so it's true. So go back and listen to that. And <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Skip to this part. Skip. Yeah, skip ahead. <laughs> well, man, this has been a fun conversation. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna tell the audience about what you guys are doing at Neoscape? I know you've got this cool R and D thing, actually. We should probably talk about Rad Lab. Yeah, so, yeah, Rad Rad Lab's uh it's something that started maybe four or five years ago, I think, at the company. Um, it really is sort of allowed a group of we. It's a it's sort of a committee uh, right now that is a part of it, but it it's basically our R and D department. We call it Rad Lab. Uh, they're looking into all kinds of new software packages, all technologies, all how we can how we can integrate it into what our end product is specifically. But you know things like working with Epic Games on on how architecture directly gets into unreal is is something like you know that we focused on with rad lab for quite a while and that those sort of relationships come through that that environment with rad lab and i think that it allows neoscape to kind of stay on the edge of technology we're always thinking about how we could do stuff slightly different because all let's put it this way like every every viz company is doing the same thing we're really all creating the same products in the end but it's how you sort of think about the future of what we're doing that dictates where where those stories and where your end product's going to end up. So that's why Rad Lab is here at Neoscape. It's it's one of those environments that sort of allows us to to really play around with anything from, you know, 2D Photoshop, maybe it's Photoshop replacement that we're looking into or it's it's different free scripts online that are just being opened and dug into and reconfigured to be what we need them to be or, you know, it's full software packages with new technology that we're looking into. It's it's one of those those ventures that we've taken that have introduced new tools into our space eventually after some testing. We have a full motion capture set up in our green screen in our Boston office now where we can put people in suits and if you need custom actions, if you need someone golfing or playing soccer or something, we can we can certainly do that for you. And that, and that was a a test that started uh in inside the Rad Lab. So how much custom development stuff are you guys doing in-house as far as software goes? We've, so as far as software goes, we don't do like software packages and like full robust sort of. Yeah, but more like scripts and plugins. And I'm sure you guys have to do a lot of custom stuff because it just doesn't exist or you don't have access to it. Like it seems like this is happening in the architecture industry. Every architecture firm is developing scripts and things for grasshopper or for dynamo or for revit or whatever and everybody's doing the same freaking thing in every different office because they're not willing to share it or open source it or whatever i, I assume it's probably not too different for you guys 
No, not at all. And that's one of those things where Nils, um, one of our founders, has always had his hands into scripting. There's always been Neoscape scripts floating around the internet. That was oh, some cool. of the, the OG scripts that were on ScriptSpot were from Neoscape, you know? Shout out to Chris Grant for ScriptSpot yeah. right there. Yeah, a lot, a lot. Chris Grant taught me a lot. I'll, I'll say that he, I learned a lot from him as far as uh, this industry goes. But yeah, we 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 definitely uh, we develop a lot of scripts inside in in house to to help our pipeline. Really, it they're called click eliminators, right? Like it's things that take mm-hmm. automations. You know, yeah, exactly. It's like if it takes you five minutes to do one thing, like why not put it in a script and just run it? If it's a common thing that's done across the the company and we have a script loader that you can just pull them all down and all the scripts that you know have been utilized over the the years can be put in there or in there already i'm just giddy to say photoshop actions remember when that happened yeah. back in the day oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> click savers that's exactly what you're talking about yep exactly <laughs> well man this has been fantastic where can people see what you guys are doing and i will include all the links in the show notes but i would love it if you could tell the audience the kinds of you know, places they can go visit, follow you guys online, see what you're up to. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're all over social media now. So Neoscape's uh, Instagram is is pretty active. We post uh, rendering of the week. We have highlights on employees. We talk about industry things. It's, it's a good place to kind of go get a, a high level of what, what's current and going on at the company, but also, you know, our website, neoscape.com and uh, our LinkedIn page is also pretty active. From all those mediums, you can get to our like our Vimeo page. We have a, a brand new West Coast reel up that's that's pretty cool. I would uh, su- suggest everybody go check that one out. That shows a, a breadth of our film work across the West Coast right now. If if you were to give uh, some some younger folks some advice who are interested potentially in getting into this industry, and I would even love to hear it if you are doing anything to actively engage like those kinds of people from a educational standpoint, like what, what are you leaving for the next generation to build on? Um, but how are you engaging them now? And what, what advice would you give them to kind of come into the the visualization side of things? Yeah. I mean, actively we're, we're a part of internship programs at a lot of different schools and a lot of different, you know, communities throughout the United States, uh, wherever we have offices. So that's that's one of the main things that we're doing. We do a lot of outreach. We go to events, job fairs, and things at at these colleges, and let let kids sit down with artists or you know uh, people that work at Neoscape and have a conversation with them. So that's that's something that we do a lot of and have done for years. Personally, I I uh, was teaching a class at CCA in San Francisco, uh, and it was an architecture specific program. But my class was focused around sort of storytelling and the viz side of things because I find that I get a lot of questions from architecture students that are like, Hey, how can I, how can I get my hands more into the viz side of things before I go work as a designer somewhere? So I was teaching them, you know, storytelling and really sort of focusing on the things that are not any, that don't have anything to do with architecture. Like look Mm -hmm. at photography, look at film, look at, you know, really get into the technical aspects of how you take a photo with even your iPhone. Like, what are you doing with your iPhone when you take a Put photo? Put it in manual mode. Put yeah. it in manual mode, <laughs> fiddle with the dials. That is the biggest head start you can get on ArcViz, in my opinion, because everything's so photographic now. And all the cameras are all physical cameras. You're all dealing with the same settings that you deal with on a, on a real camera. So that's like the, the number one thing I, I tell people is to to really sort of broaden your range of what you're looking at and don't 
if you're into architecture and you're you're going through an architecture program, step out of it for a little bit and and get into these other things. If it's gaming that you're into, a lot of the same things apply. Like look at how things are composed on screen at a in a HUD or in a game, and all that stuff applies to to the same storytelling elements that we do on a daily basis. I feel like every architecture firm should should create and offer or at least band together and make an image making course to teach their staff how to at least get halfway there before they hand it off to experts like you guys because they are creating those free renderings every day in tools like Twinmotion and Enscape and there is a lot of information that needs to be communicated and it can be taken to the next level just through composition and camera placement and like understanding the basics of how cameras work I think Right. Yeah, no, that, that's huge. I think like understanding composition and all that stuff is basic stuff that should be, that should be taught or should be allowed to explore within architecture. And not just expect people to know how to do it because they don't. No, no, no like one, it's just not, no one's born with that. Right. Learn it. Yeah. Unless you grew up around, you know, your dad's a photographer, or your parents are right. a photographer. Like that's, that's just stuff you don't pick up on until, until yeah. you can afford to get your hands on a camera of some sort and do it on your own. It's, it's really hard to learn. Yeah. And, and wa- like, wa- I spent a lot of time watching a professional photographer in a studio and all of the things that went into creating one photograph, like one image, like in camera, lighting right. and reflection and shadows and all the specular highlights. And it's just, there's so much going into constructing an image that I think, you know, at some level, it's been so abstracted from us. It's just like point the camera and s- save the screenshot. It, there's so much more to it if and if you're willing to go to those levels um it can it can make or break somebody selling somebody on our design for sure yeah and and you know another thing that i i often tell like my junior artists is that they need to get involved like get involved in forums online and get involved in i learned so much from online communities that's that's how i learned everything that i know right now is not everything because i've honestly had so many moments with hands-on with artists over the years that have taught me a lot, but I learned everything that kind of got my career started from free resources online. Open source stuff is all over the place. There's so much information online that you can, if you just dig into it just a little bit right now, especially the internet's flooded with, with info on all this stuff. Yeah. It's the best time to find a teacher you like. I mean, you, you can, there's so much of the same content everywhere spend a little bit of time finding somebody who you really connect with for any reason that you want to pick. And that's, that's huge, right? There's just, like you said, there's so much available. It's absolutely incredible. Yeah. YouTube's paying people to give you great content for free. So get on there and, and get involved. Right. Well, thanks, man. This has been a fantastic conversation and I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. It was good to see you. Thank you to Enscape for their support of this episode. Visit Enscape3D.com slash TRXL today for a free 14-day trial. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and, of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast, where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for E Troxel. Talk to you soon.